cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself, since he said, Where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. Thank you. Thanks, Ian. Well, good evening, everyone. It's great to be with you here tonight. And just a word of precaution or a notice, if you would. Uh, I have a massive ulcer on my right side of the face. So if you notice halfway through the sermon, that my left side is moving far more than my right. It's not likely to be because of stroke. It's um, probably because I'm in deep, deep pain. Um, But that's that's so you know. Well, this evening we're continuing our Q&A series. And tonight we're looking at the question of, isn't all truth relative? I recently came back from my trip to Singapore. And after having not gone for four years, uh, the first question that they typically see, uh, having Asian parents, is, you've grown. Now, the question, the statement is quite relative, because I haven't grown taller. And so you know exactly what they're referring to. Now, this question of relativity is a particularly sharp and edged when we think about Christianity. Not so much about way, but here we're thinking about Christianity. And where people might say Christianity might be true for you, but not true for me. And so tonight we want to kind of address this statement. What's underlying it? So we're going to look at three things. What's the argument that they are 
are using? What's their logic? What's the framework that they're thinking of? What's the problem? Number two, what's the problem with this framework? And finally, our response, number three. So firstly, the argument. You may have heard the saying, Christianity is true for you, but it's not true for me. And it's a question that on the surface, it seems quite innocent, doesn't it? Like it's quite a peaceable statement. That's, hey, that's true for you. That's good for you, Sean, uh, but that's not true for me. It seems diverse. It seems accepting. And it seems to say that I, I'm accepting your view without necessarily giving up my own. And I suspect that that's why so many people are so happy to say something along those lines. So they would say, Christianity might be true for you, not for me. Truth then becomes relative. And this is a problem, because now there is no objective truth. Because it can be true for you, Christianity, but not true for me. It's like people say, everything becomes Relative. There are many ways that this might show itself, uh, but the one that, of course, most concerns us is a statement that goes along the line that no religion, no single religion, can claim to know the fullness of truth. No single religion can know the spiritual truth of the world. And so, all religions must be equally valid. Or perhaps you might have heard an example of uh, the blind men and the elephant analogy. Uh, there are several blind men trying to describe an elephant, and they're grasping blindly, and uh, they're feeling different parts of the elephant. One feels the tail and reports, uh, and elephant is thin, like a snake. Another feels its leg and claims that, well, actually, it's, it's thick, like a tree. And another touches its side and reports that the elephant's like a wall. And here, this is representing how all the different world religions are grasping to understand a part of God. Thus, they say that there is no objective truth. Everyone's grasping at the same truth. That's the basic premise. You'll see it described in various different ways. But, but underlying this question, Let's now look at the problems behind it. So number two, what are the problems about this framework? Uh, well, actually, there are a lot. Uh, while this idea of there being no truth, or to put a name on it, uh, relativism, where all truth is relative, uh, it might seem harmless and gentle, but what it presupposes is problematic and eventually quite dangerous. There are a lot of articles and books on this issue that go much deeper in thinking and philosophical reasoning. And if that's your thing, there's a few books that might help you. Now, the one that I, I particularly found helpful was Truth Decay by Douglas Ruthius and Introducing Apologetics by James Taylor. Those two were really helpful. But let me sum up some of the main problems that we, we come across when we see this argument. Firstly, it's logically, it's incoherent. Because if you're saying that nothing is really true or false, well, then that statement, for, that statement is true for you, and I can say that's not true for me. Just as much as 
I think Christianity is true, and your statement is true, false for you. Sorry, Christianity is false for you. I can say the same thing. Uh, people might say that you Christians are so arrogant. You're taking this big ego trip over people by claiming to have the truth. But no one has the truth, they say. But, but that in itself, isn't that an equally arrogant claim? That the relative, the relevant, relevist is making? Because it's a claim that says, you don't have the truth, Christian. I do. And it's not yours. It's a claim that says, I actually kind of know enough about you, your religion, and all the other world religions, and you guys don't have it. Isn't that more arrogant to have that statement? Either way, what it leads to is kind of a no man's land. It becomes a play on words. Yeah, it's a he said versus she said. Uh, But not only that, if we continue to play out this logic, the logic that nothing is true and everything is relative, then we would be free to believe and maintain almost anything we wanted, unconstrained by evidence, logic, reasoning. There's no room to make any ethical case against someone who has refused to consider the facts and is living almost in their own dream world. In fact, the facts themselves hold no meaning because it's all subjective. That's why it logically doesn't hold up. So that's the first problem. Secondly, even if it did hold up, well, it would probably lead to the end of modern science, truth, and society as a whole. Because imagine if relativism was put into practice consistently. I imagine if you've ever been in a courtroom, my my guess is that nobody is a relativist when their case is being tried in court. And their objective innocence hangs on objective evidence. Or to give another example, let's say for a moment that I just totally disagreed with the laws of gravity. Let's say that I think that gravity is good for you, but not for me. Gravity is not real. It's not a thing. Uh, You would say, sure, Sean, whatever you want to believe. Uh, But that doesn't change the fact that it's true. And that's right, isn't it? I mean, the reason that I'm not floating away here right now is because of gravity. And that's true regardless of whether I believe it or not. Regardless of whether it's believed or not, regardless of what we feel about it, it is objectively true. That's what truth is. If the relativist, making me nervous saying this now, if the relativist is completely consistent, isn't that its natural end? I mean, if everyone does what they think is good and right for me, regardless of the truth, then society has to break down and science can't prove anything because everything is relative. Every structure in society requires some measure of integrity or submission to truth. And so if we hold to it, then truth itself is eliminated. Because nothing can be true. 
But more than breaking laws or our society, what's more significant is that our moral and ethical values are also in jeopardy. But that's something that's going to come up next week. So uh, come next week for more on that. But if everything is relative, then you and I are relative. There's no substance. There's no meaning to anything. And there's this crisis where there is no ultimate point of reference. Nothing at all matters. No fixed standards by which we can measure or judge values, truth, purpose, or beauty. So that's the second problem. And thirdly and finally, I think most significantly, what it does is reject the objective reality of God. Because by denying that there's there's no possibility of an objective truth, that denies that denies who God is. Because God is the ultimate and final standard of all claims to truth. Relativism says that there is no standard of truth, objectively speaking. That's what they hold to. But this spits in the face of the one who is true. And so we want to take a minute to think through what it means, what something means to be true. What is truth? Well, it's defined as something that which conforms with fact or reality. Well, in a word, it, truth is reality. It's how things actually are. It's absolute. And without God, well, there's nothing but personal and cultural preferences, isn't it? So truth then has to be exclusive, not inclusive, because it has to discriminate that which is false. It doesn't mix with falsehoods by definition. It's truth. And the issue today is that there is no absolute truth for anyone. And that Christianity can be true for you, but not for me. That can't, that doesn't make sense. Things cannot be both true and false. It's either that both of us are wrong, or one is right. And the only absolute one is God. He alone is the sole source and author of truth. He alone determines what is absolute because he is absolute. And that's how we find truth. Because truth is revealed to us by God himself. And this truth is not dependent on anything else. It comes from the disclosure from a personal and moral God who makes himself known to us in creation in our conscience, in Christ, and in Scripture. Truth that is consistent with the mind, the will, character, glory, and being of God. Truth is the self-disclosure of God himself. It is what it is because God declares it to be, and he made it to be so. All truth has to be defined in reference to God. Because he is the very nature of truth. And so as we read in Psalm 119, God's word is the word of truth. And so that's then our third problem. 
is that it rejects God's objective revelation. Now, if that's the case, you have these three issues, why do people embrace relativism? Why embrace it? Well, I suspect it's not because it's logically cohesive, uh, but because it's philosophically satisfying. Because it's physically and emotionally gratifying. Because it covers uh, the need to do what I want. Because at the center of relativism is me. I am the center of my universe and everything kind of rotates around me. I'm the main character. And I suspect that's why society doesn't quite like it when we say that's not true. So how do we respond to this? That's our third point. How do we respond? Well, we respond by looking at Jesus Christ, who is the truth. Ian read for us John 8, 26. And earlier in that passage, we see crowds gathering around Jesus. And he tells them that unless you believe in Jesus, you will die. And they ask, who are you? How does he respond? Well, earlier in verse 12 of that chapter... Jesus calls himself the light of the world who was sent into the world by God the Father. But here in verse 27, here he further explains why this is so significant. Because the one who sent Jesus is true. God is truth himself. What God says is true. He is the very nature of truth. In verse 28, the people ask, how do they know it's true? So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that nothing I do, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. You see, it's on the cross. It's in Jesus' death and resurrection that we see that this is truly the Son of God. This is the one who was sent from God. This is the one who is God. So then what is truth? Verse 32. Jesus says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And inevitably, the question must be asked, Why do we need to be free? Verse 34. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The truth will set you free. Now, you might have heard this quote before outside of the Bible. Uh, Perhaps in the movie Liar Liar with Jim Carrey, or Insurgent with Shailene Woodley, or even in Bluey. Uh, So in all of these references, they use this quote in a courtroom, and their phrase always comes up. And in each case, if someone speaks the truth, they would be free, they say. That is, when you see it in a movie played out, the truth will set you free. That is, you'll win the case. But the question has to be asked, when they use this phrase, why do they need to be free? Free from the case? 
freed from jury, freed from questioning, freed from your inner morality telling you to not lie? No. Well, according to Jesus, you'll be set free from sin. This is what is meant when the truth sets us free. Because the truth is that everyone's fallen short of God's glory. That everyone has been enslaved to sin and to death. And the truth about Jesus is that he was sent by God to die for our sins and to free us from that slavery to sin and to death. That's what it means to be free. Because on the cross, it's in in Jesus' death and resurrection that we see the Son of God. We see the one who is God. And this is true, regardless of whether we believe it or not. Regardless of whether it is believed or not, what we feel about it, what we think about it, it's objectively true. We can understand why it's disliked, can't we? Because before we were Christians, that's who we were. Because our hearts had once rejected the objective truth of God. Our hearts have once chosen our own truth to reject the one true God. And without the gracious work of God's Holy Spirit, changing our hearts to understand the truth, well, we'd still be enslaved to sin and to death. But we thank God for God's Holy Spirit that guides us into the truth, as said in John 16, verse 13. Let me read it to you. It says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever, whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. That's why in one of the Gospels, in Matthew 16, uh, it says this, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And so the question might come back around and say, well, okay, if you're going to quote the Bible, uh, how do you know that the Bible itself is believable? Uh, because the words is the words recorded through the amazing library of these 66 books in the Bible have been confirmed. At many times and in many ways, the God of Israel has promised to one day send a Messiah who would redeem not just a nation, but a world. And in the fullness of time, all of this is accomplished through the person and work of Jesus. All that has been foreseen and written down in advance by Moses and the other Hebrew prophets, all of it seen and reported by eyewitnesses, all of it coming true in Christ. And therefore the Bible doesn't merely claim to be an inspired book, but also provides for its readers many convincing truths. And they might say, well, that's kind of true, but aren't you just confirming the Bible with the Bible? Sure. And at that point, I think it's helpful to talk a bit about the reliability of the Bible itself. You want to take, for example, the Gospel of Mark. He was a companion of Peter and one of Jesus' early disciples. And he wrote Mark's Gospel, 
in early AD 30. Well within the life of those that lived within the events that he's recording and writing down, uh, especially about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. The original document that Mark wrote has been lost. That's kind of normal for an ancient document, as it's written on uh, documents or papyrus or parchment that eventually rots away. So then, you have to look then at the copies of the original and ask, well, how old are these copies? How much time has passed between the original and the copies? And finally, how many copies do we have now? And I think what you find is really quite extraordinary because the next oldest document is a Caesar's Gallic War. And that was originally written in 58 to 50 BC. And the oldest surviving copy is AD, uh, it's dated AD 825, and only 10 copies exist. And you compare this to Mark's Gospel, which was originally written in AD 60, 65, uh, with the oldest surviving copy, dated around 2 to 300 AD. And there are 14,000 ancient copies that exist today. Look, a lot more could be said about the reliability of the Bible, uh, but let me return to our question this evening. People say that Christianity might be true for you, but not for me. And so to answer this, let's have another look at the blind men and the elephant. You see, those blind men weren't all right with different truths. They were simply wrong. And... Not only that, we're not this omniscient third party who's looking upon the blind men and the elephant. That's not us. We're not shaking our heads as these blind men are grasping around the elephant. No, that's not us at all. That would be God. He is the holder of truth because he's the one that sees all. He is the one who knows all. So then how do we know the truth if we're just blind to it? Because it's revealed to us. And it is. God himself bears witness to this objective truth about himself and his creation. God himself has revealed truth to us. And that's the beauty of Christianity. Because in Christ, in his scriptures, the truth has been revealed to us. The truth about our sin and the truth about our salvation in Jesus. What does that mean for us as a church? Well, I think if we grasp hold that what we believe is objectively true, well, then we can have assurance that the truth is always relevant. It will always address the issues of today. There is always going to be objective truth, and we can have confidence in what Jesus has done and in the Scriptures preserved for us by God. And so let me urge you then to continue to follow Christ who is the truth. Continue to speak truth to your friends and family, knowing that it probably will bring persecution and discomfort. And yet it is the truth that must be said. Let me encourage you to continue to teach and to live out God's truth in a world where there is much truth decay. In all this, we seek to honor and worship a truth-loving, truth-seeking, a God who is true. And this God has sent his only son to save us 
And so let us give thanks to a God who is loving and kind. And please join me as we pray. Our Father in heaven, we praise you as the sovereign Lord God who reigns supreme over all things. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in Christ and in your scriptures. And we pray, Lord, that we would be at awe of the great truth that you have revealed to us. Lord, we thank you that despite our sinfulness, you have saved us by faith in Jesus. Lord, would you help us as we continue to witness and testify to the truth, the truth of their condition, the truth of the well, and the truth of salvation. Lord, would you grant us boldness to stand for truth. Help us to bring truth into the world, to set it free from sin. Help us to be bold for your holy name. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.